0: Pop culture, where we talk about things we love enthusiastically and without guilt. I'm Carrie Gessner. And I'm KW Taylor. Today we're going to talk
1: about My Favorite Martian, the Amazon movie Late Night, and the graphic novel series Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. So, Carrie, this week we both watched the pilot episode of My Favorite Martian. Mm hmm which is a very old sitcom. And again, this is our segment of our show where we we pick out an old pilot that we can both stream really easily and just visit it or revisit it and see what we think, see whether it would hold up today or whether we want to keep watching it and just kind of talk about it. So um, if you're not familiar with My Favorite Martian, this was a sitcom from 1963 to 1966. And here's the wild thing about this show. This was only on for three seasons. It did not last very long, except there are 107 episodes. And that is because TV seasons used to be so long. Like the seasons of this show are like 32 episodes long. Can you that's just like bananas (laughs) and then seasons one and two are in black and white the third season is in color it's available streaming for free on IMDb TV and just some things about the cast it stars Bill Bixby as Tim Bill Bixby some of you may know from he was later David Banner on the TV version of the Incredible Hulk. Um, He was on a lot of TV shows and was a director. And Ray Walston plays Uncle Martin, which is a pseudonym. If you're a fan of 80s movies, he was later Mr. Hand in Fast Times at Ridgemont High, as well as a lot of other things. There was later a feature film from 1999 that starred Jeff Daniels and Christopher Lloyd. I don't think that was very popular. Did you see the movie version, Carrie?
0: I don't remember it, so I don't think so. Okay. Yeah, I know I didn't see it. Okay. So what happens in the pilot episode? It begins with Tim, the main character, waking up and he's got like five alarms set or something. (laughs) And the whole time I was just like, this is relatable because that's me waking up in the morning. So he wakes up and he I think he's renting from this woman who she's a widowed mom and she's got a daughter and also a niece who lives with her
1: so he's renting this apartment from this widowed mom and and she's got these daughters who there's a creepy moment i just want to say when the daughters yes like he's having trouble waking up in the morning and this is pre uh, snooze alarm and and whatever so yeah he's got all these alarms anyway but his boss tries to call him to get him to work because he's late and he's taken his own phone off the hook in his sleep stupor So the newspaper editor calls Mrs. Brown, his landlady, to see if she can wake him up. But her her niece and her daughter are like standing around in their nightgowns. And the niece is like, I'll go wake him up. And Mrs. Brown is like, hang on, sister, you're in your little nighty, and that's a bad idea. And he's a young man. And she makes some weird reference to a a man's metabolism in the morning. And it was very, (laughs) oh, my gosh, that was cringy and weird. Yeah, I did not like that. I did not like that. But anyway, they get him up and he gets to work. So, yeah.
0: So he, I don't know, I was a little confused the whole time. Okay. <laughs> Cause I'm, I'm silly, but he arrives at like the Air Force place and the Air Force is doing an experimental flight and he's supposed to cover it for the newspaper, but yeah. they push him out and they don't, they don't want him to write about it. But then on his drive home, he sees something flying across the sky and then he sees it crash and he goes to investigate and finds a spaceship and meets the Martian, who can turn invisible. <laughs>
1: <laughs> he has little. He has little antennae too, like a radio. That's true. And they look like telescoping metal antennae. Like they're not biological looking. They're they look like yeah. somebody stuck a TV rabbit ears behind the actor's head and just made them go up. It's real. Yeah.
0: It's real lo-fi. <laughs> And they come right out of his head and then they, they can disappear back into it. So he looks normal. But Tim takes him home. I don't really know why.
1: <laughs> well, he's been injured. He's been injured. And the, the Martian can speak perfect English,
0: mm-hmm. of
1: course. And he reveals that he's an anthropologist studying Earth. And I think he says, like, you pathetic humans or whatever. Like, he's very matter of fact and not very sentimental about humanity.
0: Doesn't he make fun of them for only being able to go, like, 4,000 miles an hour or something like that?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so Tim is kind of quizzing him on stuff. And Tim wants to write a story about the Martian so he can win a Pulitzer Prize. And the Martian is like, okay, but, like, nobody – first of all, don't do that. But then also, even if you did, nobody's going to believe you. And he rattles off all these famous people throughout history that he'd presented himself to. So he's really old, and he, like, acts like he knew – do you say Thomas Jefferson or something? Or all these smart, mm-hmm. smart men who tried to be like, hey, there's a Martian. And everybody's like, ha ha, whatever. So he makes it clear that it's not going to work. But he writes the story anyway. And then he gets thrown in jail for it for, like, revealing supposed Air Force secrets or whatever. And through that, it's also revealed that he's got this girlfriend named Annabelle. And she is supposed to, like, take care of the Martian while he's away. But they have a cover story that this is his Uncle Martin so he's pretending to be Tim's uncle..
0: Mm-hmm. How did he get out of jail? I don't remember that. I actually, actually watched this last night. <laughs>
1: I know. I watched this yesterday morning and I don't remember how he got out of jail either. I think the I think he made it seem to the Air Force like his car radio was picking up their frequencies. Oh, right, 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 right. Because they had seen the UFO on their tracker and gotten all freaked out. and so they kind of know there's something weird. And they just want to cover it up. So I think they go ahead and release him as long as he's not writing about this thing.
0: Right. After he gets out, he goes back home and they come to take his car radio. Mm -hmm. And the Martian does some some of his stuff and they end up taking part of it, but not the important part or -hmm. something like that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, the Martian also can read minds, which is very helpful, unless you actively block him from doing so. And there's, oh, there's this other cringy moment where do you remember this? Yeah. Okay. So Annabelle, his girlfriend, has come over and leaves and Martin is like, Oh, you're thinking about that attractive brunette, aren't you? And then he goes, Like, like, oh dude, you're thinking smutty thoughts. Right. And, and so then Tim is like, oh, like he learns how to mask his thoughts from Martin. But what were you
0: saying? I was surprised at that moment and the earlier moment. Really? Yeah, just, I mean, I don't know, because it's from the 60s. And I was like, hmm, seems a little risque for the 60s. But (laughs) a little bit,
1: a little bit, a little bit.
0: Well,
1: and then the very end, I actually loved this moment. I thought this was really funny. So the Martian proposes that they go to Vegas and do some gambling because that'll help Tim with some newspaper stories somehow, but also because Martin can read minds that they'll super clean up. And I don't know if they return to that idea in the second episode or not, but I kind of think that might have just been a funny one-off. Let's just make some quick cash for for no reason. But I thought that was even a little edgy, like, oh, gosh, this is cheating and going to Vegas. And it was all very saucy. I think that part of the reason there's al- almost allowed to be a little sauciness in this is it's not really marketed as a family show or a kids show, per se. It's a little more – I feel like teenage boys would have been watching this.
0: Okay. I have no – I have no clue. Yeah. I don't <laughs> who the, know who, the, who the intended audience was. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So what did you think, though, other than it being weirdly risque in a couple of moments?
0: Yeah. Overall, I thought it was pretty cute, aside from those two moments where I was like, mm, this kind of makes me a little bit uncomfortable. But for the most part, I thought Tim was pretty charming, the main character, mm-hmm. especially when he was in the the jail cell interacting with the guard or whoever he was. Mm-hmm. Would I keep watching it? I don't think so, unless I were was kind of bored and needed, <laughs> needed, needed something to pass the time. Mm-hmm. But since I'm kind of time-strapped, no, it wouldn't really be high on my list. What did you think?
1: Yeah, I kind of felt the same way. I was a little surprised how it actually felt a little less dated except for those cringy moments. It felt a little less dated than I thought. I mean the technology is obviously not as good, like his alarm clock situation, the Air Force room where they're tracking the rocket and stuff. That was so retro looking. But it also was like, okay, this is reasonable for the time, whatever. But like his car didn't seem that crazy old and and the only real special effects there were were just Martin's antennae and then him turning invisible. And the invisibility scenes were actually really funny and not done poorly in terms of technology. Mm -hmm. I thought that was great physical comedy for Bill Bixby to be carrying this injured, invisible person that was very, I thought that was pretty funny. Um, Yeah, that was cute. And I thought they played off each other really well. But like you, I feel like, eh, I don't know. I think I used to watch reruns of this when like local TV stations would play old sitcoms in the summertime in the morning like I would see this occasionally but I didn't like it as much as like Bewitched and I Dream of Genie, which it's very similar to those I always felt like oh there's not really a lot to for me to be interested in about this I think I thought that young Bill Bixby was kind of cute but like other than that yeah he was pretty cute <laughs> but other than that I didn't really it was funny but it wasn't funny enough for me to keep going. But I also feel like it is free streaming on IMDb TV. And if somebody is like, I need a show to knit to, or I need something to, to watch right before I go to bed, like it's fine for something like that. It's very um, innocuous. And I think it probably has a cute sensibility. I will say I do remember that as the series goes on, Mrs. Brown meets Martin, and she's a widow. And she thinks he's pretty cute and he ends up having to fend off her advances because he doesn't want his identity compromised, but that he kind of likes her. So that storyline is actually, in my memory, kind of adorable. But now I worry, oh, I don't know if that would play very well now. I'd have to, I'm a, I'm a little curious about that, but I'm not enough to keep going with it. <laughs> <laughs> right. That sounds kind
0: of interesting. Yeah. I'd be curious to see how it held up.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So another one that we think we're not going to keep watching, but we're going to, I'm determined that one of these pilots, we will both end up thinking, I would keep
0: watching that, but
1: we have not hit upon it yet. So I don't know.
0: I i have <laughs> kind of high standards for pilots. Yeah, I Which do too. Silly.
1: No, it's not silly. I think there, there's so much content these days that you have to be choosy about what you watch.
0: Yeah, I think that's my big thing because I just don't have as much time to consume things as I used to. So I have to really, really like something.
1: Okay, but you saw a movie recently that you really liked. Tell us about that.
0: I did. I watched Late Night. It's written by Mindy Kaling, directed by Nisha Ganatra. I think it was produced through Amazon Studios or something because it's available on Amazon Prime. It came out in the theaters, I think, in June. And I wanted to go see it, but I don't get to the movies that often, so I didn't end up going but I watched it last week, and it's very cute. It's it's a little bit heavy at times, which was fine. I, I cried a little bit. <laughs> but Minnie Kaling plays Molly, who I guess there's not a ton of backstory on her. She likes comedy. She wants to be in comedy, but she's working at a chemical plant. And she wins an essay contest at the chemical plant. And the prize is that she can meet anyone she wants, any, like, CEO she wants, and instead of picking the CEO of the company, she picks someone in late-night television, and I think she ends up meeting with Brad, who's played by Dennis O'Hare, and he's, he's, like, a showrunner (laughs) or an executive producer or something for Emma Thompson's show, and Emma Thompson plays Catherine Newberry, who has a late-night show. She's the only woman in late-night television. Oh, so... Everything kind of coalesces because Emma fires someone and then she gets accused of not having any women on her staff. And she's like, oh, right. I don't <laughs> I don't have any women writers. So she tells Brad to hire a woman. And then Molly comes in and she is interested in comedy and she wants to work for them. So he's like, oh, OK, I have to hire a woman. So I'm just going to hire you. It's kind of a diversity hire. And they definitely talk about that, which I thought was interesting because the, I mean, the writers room is all white men in their like 30s and they definitely resent her at first the brother of one of the writers loses out on the job because she gets it so he's kind of not happy with her and she knows that she maybe wasn't hired for the right reasons but she kind of digs in her heels and tries to prove herself anyway and i and i think that was really interesting um because they didn't shy away from from issues like that and it talks about white privilege about how Everyone in the room is white, basically, except her. She comes in and kind of re-energizes the writing room. And Emma's character, Catherine, is about to lose her late-night show. And she's kind of been phoning it in for a few years. But she really does like what she's doing. She's just kind of in a rut. And Molly gets her to try new things, basically. And one of the ways it does touch on white privilege is... (laughs) So Catherine starts doing this on the street segment and it's called white savior. Oh no. <laughs> I know. She. I think the way that it's introduced is Catherine was like, I was accused of being a little bit white and a little bit rich or something like that. And she's like, but I decided to go all in and I will be all white and all rich. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> but the way it's presented is, is pretty funny. The, one of the first, segments they do is she stops these two black guys on the street and is like what can I do for you or what what do you have trouble doing that like I could do for you <laughs> and one of the guys is like well I have trouble getting a cab <laughs> oh. so she immediately calls them a cab and is like hustling them inside and they're like wait I don't I don't need it right now <laughs> <laughs> so it definitely leans into the like I'm using my privilege to do something for you that you don't even want <laughs> yeah so it's kind of funny And then Catherine is a little bit infamous for inviting kind of boring guests, like historians and and writers and stuff. And everyone's like, you need to switch it up a little bit. So she starts inviting people like YouTubers, and the first interview with a YouTuber goes really poorly. (laughs) (laughs) But then later on, she has an interview with a young actress who is implied to be on a show kind of like The Vampire Diaries, and the the actress is, is kind of apologetic about it she's like i know it's just a silly show it's a guilty pleasure there's this nice little scene where Catherine says we did we shouldn't have guilty pleasures they should just be pleasures and i think that's a lot of what we're trying to do here yeah so, yeah yeah because there's so much tied up in well every time i like something i don't know i always get a little bit nervous that someone's gonna when i say i like it someone's gonna say oh that's bad for this reason or like that's so silly or you shouldn't like that Mm -hmm. and I don't like that I think we should celebrate what we like um so I really like that scene and the movie itself it took some turns that I didn't expect but it ended up being really kind of feel good and I liked it and I I love Emma Thompson I love Mindy Kaling so I thought they played played really well off of each other so yeah it was a nice nice little midweek movie watch for me
1: Cool. I really like both of them too. And I, I just haven't had a chance to see it, yet, but I'll totally watch it. What's interesting is that I'm rewatching The Office right now. When the Mindy project ended on Hulu, I, did, I was watching that actively as it was airing. And I felt like that show got a little strange by the end and I wasn't as interested in it. But rewatching old episodes of The Office that she actually not only is in, but wrote, she wrote some of the more subversive, interesting, edgy episodes of The Office. And so people, I think, think of her more for her public comedy actress persona, forgetting that she's also an extremely talented writer, and she is not afraid to explore some of these intersectional themes. And I think that's awesome. So cool.
0: Yeah, you'll have to let me know what you think of it when you you watch it. I will. Yes, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> but right now you have been reading The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, right? Yes.
1: So I I love the TV adaptation, the Netflix show. I was almost immediately kind of quasi-obsessed with it. I felt like this was the spiritual daughter of Buffy the Vampire Slayer that I didn't know I missed. It's much darker than Buffy. It's creepy. It's it's upsetting. But it's got that nice blend of horror and humor that I really, really love. So I decided, oh, I love the show. Let me go back and read the graphic novels that it's based on. But these are even darker. So I guess I'm going to get the reputation on here. I'm the I'm the creepy girl, and I like all the weird mm-hmm. stuff. But it's also – it's Halloween season, so, you know, bear with me. I actually read this over the summer. So I remember finishing this series sitting in this brightly lit – beautiful cheery coffee house having an iced coffee and reading this like oh it's just so creepy and gross (laughs) comic book and just being like oh the incongruity and then I like got outside in the sunshine and was like oh I feel better because that was upsetting but (laughs) but it's really really good and if you like graphic novels and you like really pretty art and if you like horror I think you'll like this series it started in 2014 and it's still still technically ongoing but they've kind of Paused it after six issues because the show started and it is a little bit different than the show. So I think they're kind of on a little bit of a hiatus, but I hope they pick it back up. So it's written by Roberto Aguirre Sacasa and Robert Hack. And again, it's six issues total, collected into two volumes. It's a much darker tone than the Netflix series. In the Netflix series, in the opening credits, they do show artwork from the real graphic novels. So you get a feel of how all the art looks from that opening credit sequence. So it's very, very autumnal colors. It's very red and yellow and white and black and not a lot of blues and greens, which is kind of interesting. And it's got a strange kind of, the artwork is sort of inked in, but then there's these washes of color that look almost watercolor. I'm sure it's done digitally, but it it really looks like kind of a dark acrylic mixed with watercolor maybe. I don't know, it's a really interesting effect. It makes a lot of things look Like they're on fire, actually, even when they're not supposed to be. It's really interesting. Yeah. And it's set very decisively in the 1950s and 1960s when the TV show is set now, but it's got a kind of retro vibe to it where they use a little bit of anachronistic technology and you can't quite tell what year it's supposed to be but they do have cell phones and things so it is now but the comics are set definitely in the 50s and 60s and it has crossovers with there was a bunch of Archie comics because Sabrina is actually a spinoff of the original Archie comic series Um, she was a minor character on in Archie and then she got her own comic book but there's other Archie comics that are in this dark universe and the Archie one is afterlife with Archie, which is also written by the same team that did the Sabrina comics. So if you like afterlife with Archie, which is a little more specifically zombies and vampires, then you'll definitely like the Sabrina series, but this is still darker than that. (laughs) It's just that they really lean into some of the creepier elements of being a witch in the, in the world building that they have for this series. And there's, there's plot lines that they had in the show that they do have in the comics, but the comics version is more messed up. So <laughs> I'll just kind of leave it at that, that it's it's not for the faint of heart. It's not like I'm mean, ridiculously dark, like a teenager could read these, but it's it is it is edgy and creepy. And she's a little bit meaner and weirder in the comics. So in the show, I think she is much more like Buffy, where she's kind of troubled about her destiny, but she is ultimately, mostly, usually a kind of good person. That is not always the case here. And the same thing with her aunts, which in the in the show, especially, oh, her one aunt, I can't remember the aunt's names. Hilda and Zelda. Okay, so Hilda is the slightly nicer aunt. In the comics, they're both pretty, I don't know, they're a little more similar to each other. And they both have good and bad sides, but they're a little bit darker, I think. But
0: yeah. So which version do you prefer in, ter- in terms of how nice slash mean they are? Do you like the, sl- the meaner side of the comics or?
1: Oh, that's interesting. I don't know. I think these are, they complement each other well as different types of media. I think they did a good job adapting these into something that was a little bit more palpable as a TV series. And by making everybody a little bit more likable, I think it'll have more longevity. But the comics are a little bit truer to, er, I want to say, like some types of witchcraft lore, not anything real per se. But like, I think it's much more that the comic books are straight horror and the TV show is dark fantasy. Okay, that makes sense. And so it's hard to it's hard to say that. I mean, I really like the TV show and there's more of it in terms of hours of material to consume and and plot lines and stuff. So I think the show has a lot of potential longevity. The comics, though, I think if you want just a darker take on the show, it's a it's good to
0: have both. Yep. cool. That sounds interesting. I well, I was gonna say I watched the first episode and didn't really love it, but I might try the series. The comic series. Okay, cool. Yeah, Yeah,
1: you might really dig it. Yeah. So what are we going to talk about next time?
0: Next time we are going to talk about The Masked Singer, which is one of our favorite shows together. (laughs) We have a lot of theories about that. (laughs) And I'm going to talk about the new Batwoman TV show. We're going to talk about some fun music and some horror novels. Our theme music is by Joseph McDade. You can find me on Twitter at Carrie Gessner. And you can find me on Twitter at KWTaylorWriter. And you can email us at PositivelyPopCulture at gmail.com.
1: And we have a new Twitter account for this show that you can find us both at Pause Pop
0: Podcast. Thanks for listening and join us next time for another episode of PausePop.